Galatians 1 and the letters ESV, English Standard Version, and you'll find your place and I will read and do all the rest. Chapter 1, beginning with verse 11, the translator heading reads, Paul called by God. As you find your place, may I comment, we continue our study of this letter line by line, paragraph by paragraph, receiving it all, receiving it as God's very words to us, His church. It's, it's a punchy letter. It's a raw letter. It's explosive, one theologian has written. It's primitive. It's, it's, it's the first letter of its kind. It's the first letter of its kind. We, we have a Bible full of, a New Testament full of letters to churches that consisted of the very first Christians in the first century. And the Apostle Paul's the most prolific of all the letter writers, but, but this is his first. This is his first. A, a letter that is more than a letter. A letter is more than a letter. It just so we just take it in and receive it. The, the, these are the very words of God. That's what we believe. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, penned by a human hand, which when we devote ourselves to it, listen, this is what our our statement of faith says about this. If we devote ourselves to it, we commune with God Himself. We commune with God Himself. That's, That's what we're doing here. We're communing with God as we devote ourselves to the study of and reflection of and meditation of and celebration of these words. So, would you look with me? Let's devote ourselves to this text. I'll read them. Pray chapter 1, beginning with verse 11. Follow along. Verse 11. Paul writes, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Verse 12. For I, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. Judaism, sorry, my throat. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Verse 14, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father's. Verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Verse 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. The very words of God, would you join me in a brief prayer? Father, 
meet us now in your book as we commune with you. Show yourself to us. Make it plain for all of us. Convince us of our great need for a Savior and that Jesus is a great Savior for our every need, we pray. Father, I pray you'd fill me with your spirit. I pray you'd give me a voice, <laughs> strengthen my body as I, as I desire to serve my friends and to bring you glory for our good. Help us now. Send your spirit in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me get a drink real quick. From my big bottle. Just in case we run out of water. I got a storage here. Okay, I, I did a little math this week. I'm not good at math, but I did a little math, and by my reckoning, my math, here in Orange at the Women's Club, we have held 550 Sunday services. 550 services, approximately. I'm rounding up here. Approximately 500 su Sunday services. That's 2,200, give or take, songs sung. Approximately, approximately 300 communion meals celebrated. My guess, about 4,000 donuts consumed. <laughs> yeah, dear Lord, if you have questions about, I could show you my, my work later. Uh, listen, and 550 sermons. 550 sermons, and if you've been tracking with us, and I know that some of you have since the very beginning, all 550 sermons have had one overarching point. Every one of them. All 550 sermons. One message, one conclusion, same with our songs, which I'm so grateful for, same with our communions, I'm not sure about the donuts, but nevertheless, one focal point, one center, one conclusion, one appeal each and every time, and we call it the gospel. We call it the gospel. Christ died for our sins. 550 times Christ died for our sins. But have you ever asked the question, after 550 times, where did this gospel message come from? The one we proclaim every week, where, where did it come from? Who crafted this message? What were the major influences and shaping influences of this message, the gospel? How much of this gospel is tradition? How much of this gospel is culture? How much of this gospel finds its origin in man or men or a church or a church tradition or you or me? Whose gospel have we been proclaiming? Mine? Who's, whose gospel have you been believing 550 times? If you ever wondered this, you're not alone. Listen, you're not alone. Actually, this is one of the first things the Christians, these first Christians debated, that, that they were confronted with. They were hearing the good news of peace and life with God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the very first time by the Apostle Paul. And it didn't take long before some of them began to ask the question, which gospel should we believe? Who should we believe? That's exactly what's going on in our text this morning. 
when you boil it all down. Paul the Apostle had traveled around this region called Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. And everywhere he went, he told the same message that we've been preaching for 10 years here. And faithful gospel-proclaiming churches have everywhere have been proclaiming and believing and singing and confessing for 2,000 years. These brothers here in our text were caught in the crossfire between the Apostle Paul and what the Apostle Paul calls, up in verse uh, 7, the troublemakers. Later, he calls them the Judaizers. Those who visited Galatia after Paul played cleanup, teaching a modified version of the, Paul, the gospel that Paul had taught them. What Paul calls in verse 6, a different gospel, not that there is another one. This is why, actually, if you caught it right in the beginning of the text, look with me, verse 11. Paul, Paul writes, this is why he writes this, verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, he said, I want to verify this for you, that the gospel that was preached by me is not my end's gospel. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. And and I can't stress this enough. Listen, mark your Bibles. If you like to write in your Bibles, I like to write in my Bible. I just write it all up and then buy a new Bible. Mark your Bibles. There's nothing new under the sun here. How many times have you heard someone say, I heard just this week on a very popular podcast, how many times have you heard someone say that Christianity is probably just some other made-up religion? Man-made religion, a story that we tell ourselves so that we could sleep at night, so we could feel a little better, or, or that we might be able, maybe it's to control people or to oppress people. If we're honest, listen, every Christian has to ask this question. The same question the Galatians are asking, who should we believe? Who should we believe? Maybe, maybe Christianity is just, you know, just a ancient version of scientology you know right right pen by paul pen by paul rather than l ron hubbard but catch this or mormonism right and joseph smith maybe it's just it's joseph smith's gospel or the jehovah witnesses in charles russell or down the street at the light of the world Congre mexican movement of congregations led by an apostle who's now in jail in the united states for child abuse you name your cult Whose gospel is it that we believe and have been receiving and proclaiming? Paul writes, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Verse 12, look, if you look with me, verse 12, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. There it is, at the very bottom, in its purest form, the center of everything we do and believe and proclaim the gospel, a revelation, a, re a revelation, not a human invention, not a, a revelation, not a story we tell, not a tradition, not a collation of, of all of human wisdom and knowledge, a revelation, literally the word here in the, in the original language, an apocalypse. That's the word, apocalypse. Something we did not know, could not know, will never know, that is as real as real can be, hidden in plain sight, only seen if God chooses to open our eyes. An apocalypse. 
Paul is saying that this gospel that I have taught you, Paul's saying, and I would say our gospel, isn't something you or I have constructed. It was received. Received, not made. Received, not made. Not on account of any one of us, not any man, but exclusively from God. We received this message from God. It's a revelation. It's exclusive. One author. One source. All the marks, the distinguishing marks of what God's gospel versus Man's gospel, what God's gospel as opposed to man's gospel is all right here. All right here in Paul's defense, which you will soon see if you haven't caught on yet, isn't some big theological exercise, but rather an autobiography. It's curious. He's going to defend the authenticity, certify this gospel is a revelation from God and not man's gospel by telling his story. The validity and the veracity of the message that you and I proclaim is best authenticated, we're going to learn, by pointing to the effects it has had upon us. Those who have received this revelation, who believe and repent and trust wholeheartedly upon it. So look, let's, let's look and find these first of three observations about God's gospel as opposed to man's gospel. Number one, God's gospel is a revelation that begins with Jesus. It begins with Jesus, not Paul, not any man, not a church tradition, not a church father. No, not Paul, not man, only one man, Jesus, middle of verse 12 again, if you look, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it from any man, right? But I received it through a revelation of, starting right at the beginning, Jesus Christ. You can't have God's gospel. You can't have God's gospel. <laughs> not that there, would be, there ever will be another gospel, but you cannot have the gospel, a gospel, the gospel, without him, Jesus. He is himself, in a nutshell, the gospel. And this, please, this, please, this separates this gospel, God's gospel, from every other so-called gospel, every other so-called my truth, every other so-called message of hope and salvation and healing and forgiveness and reconciliation and being made whole. For, you know what every other system of belief is searching for, leading towards, looking for, grasping for? Man. Man's gospel is man-centered. What's the man's gospel? By definition, you name it, all of them in their infinite colors and spectrum, a version of hope that finds the center of its gravity, and you might say gravitas, right? In a man, in a man, typically me. <laughs> and for you, you. So, or some charismatic leader, right? Or in a promise. Today, the false gospels, man's gospels, come in so many different shapes and forms. I, I, I was reading one author, a, he made a dangerous list. 
right, of, of false gospels, other alternative man gospels. He called one the good people gospel, is what he writes. This one says, we are all basically good people. We make mistakes. Nobody's perfect, but we're good people at heart. I heard that this week on a popular podcast. At the core of it all is me. And he gave another one. Number two, the self-esteem gospel. Believe in yourself. There you are. You might have some struggles and issues, but you're resilient. There is a Savior who will give you everything you need to solve your problems. That's another man's gospel. And he gives another one, the expressive individualism gospel. I was like, what is that? He says, this one claims that Christianity is all about being true to yourself. That'll fix it. Find myself following your heart, living authentically, right? Or the optional Jesus gospel, he writes, this belief says Jesus is the way, Jesus is a way, but not, not the way. A person can find their way to God through a number of different spiritual experiences. So there again, your salvation is found in your experiences. Uh, the prosperity gospel is on his list. That The distorted view, he writes, that says that God guarantees his followers will be happy and healthy and have a life with no troubles. Again, the terminal of this gospel is us, me. These start to hit closer to home. Another one, faith and gospel. This distortion claims that faith and something else is sufficient to save me. Faith and my good works. Faith and enough self-loathing. Faith and a right understanding of God. If, I just, if I'm really sharp, I read a lot of books, get my theology all squared up, that's enough. The faith and gospel, or the worst one of all, the faith so gospel, he writes. The opposite end of the spectrum is what theologians call cheap grace, which says Jesus is my righteousness and perfection so I can live however I want because in the end, he will save me. Again, I can live however I want. He'll do it in the end for me. Notice all seven, and there are countless more we could name and discuss but these seven just these seven have something else in the center other than jesus the hero happens to be in every other man gospel it's right in the name of that kind of gospel man but god's gospel starts with god that's the difference god's gospel starts with god the good news that we could be forgiven for every sin and be reconciled to God. And in, as we're reconciled to God, experience reconciliation with one another and live a life of joy with God forever. Starts with God and not man. If you don't have God, you don't have a gospel. You got yourself. How about you? I know myself. It's not a gospel. <laughs> yeah. If you don't have a God in your gospel, you don't have a gospel at all. And our sin in this world and our enemy has blinded everyone from seeing who Jesus truly is. That's why it's a revelation here. One commentator, uh, Todd Wilson, this is what he writes. He writes, we sometimes talk about finding God. Here's 
Think about this with the gospel. We sometimes talk about finding God, but the truth is that we were found by God. The apostle Paul didn't find God. God found him and revealed his son to him. He writes, the same was true for the Galatians themselves as Paul reminds them later in his letter, but now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God. That's the gospel. I didn't find him, he found me. It's not that so much that I have come to know him, but rather he has revealed himself to me. Todd Wilson writes, and the same is true for us if we have found Christ and made him Lord of our life. We were found by God from out of nowhere, as it were. Jesus Christ stepped onto the scene of our life and saved us. Isn't that the gospel? That's the gospel. He quotes Karl Barth, perhaps I was the, one of the greatest theologians 20th century. He says, Karl Barth writes this, it's as if to say that true Christians are victims of a successful surprise attack by God. <laughs> That's the gospel. Starts with Jesus. Observation number two. The, you might say the meat of the passage we're looking at and really follows all the way through chapter two as well. But God's gospel is not only a revelation of his son, but in the revelation of his son, it's also a revelation of God's grace. It's an apocalypse, something we could not have perceived, not naturally inclined to believe, but a revelation of God's grace. Here, here Paul says, here's proof positive that this is not one of our gospels but instead is God's gospel. There, there's no works going to be mentioned here as I read this in common, comment on this passage. There's not going to be any credentials. He, he's got no credentials. There is no endorsement from any church. This is simply God has revealed his son to me and his grace towards me. Look, verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Jude, Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And if you stop right there, we're in the, we have paused from our book, uh, study of the book of Acts, right? We're going to pick that back up, and we've inserted Galatians right into about where it is in the timeline and the narrative of that book of Acts, the beginnings of the church. And we've already caught Paul's enemy number one. The churches that have welcomed him, even as he traveled down Galatia, they, knew, they probably knew people that Paul had executed for the faith. It's a little bit of an understatement here when he says I, how I persecuted the church of God violently, as in like murdered them. And I tried to destroy it. That was his mission. Paul says, verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. He's advanced, right? He's got it. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. This guy believed in something and gave his life to something. And then verse 15, a victim of a surprise attack by God. But not... I started working the other direction. I read a book about how I could find 12 steps to following Jesus. None of that. 
on the road to Damascus, he's struck down and meets the Savior himself. But, verse 15, when he who had set me apart before I was born, before I was born, talk about God's gospel. This starts before the foundations of the world were laid. Before I was born, he had called me by his grace. It's a revelation of grace, undeserved favor and blessing rather than curse and punishment and condemnation. Paul says, before I was born, before I take, had done anything, and on, by the way, I was the worst of the worst. I was enemy number one to the very thing that I'm proclaiming. Paul says, God had set his grace upon me and was going to treat me not as I deserved. This is so counterintuitive to man's gospel. It's so counterintuitive to our heart works. Oh, we want, we want some sort of merit, some, some, some participation. <laughs> my kid's playing, one of my kids, I won't mention who she, the little one is, but uh, she's, she's playing all... And the soccer season ended. She's playing soccer. Soccer season, everybody gets a participation award. And we all cheer. And it's wonderful. No participation awards for Paul or for us. Paul, Paul continues, right? He says, verse 15 again, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, before I did anything positively or negatively, and... Uh, and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. There it is again. God's gospel has God in it, right? In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Oh, God's got plans for him that have nothing to do, quite the opposite of the things that he had devoted his life to. Instead of going out and persecuting and executing those who would follow Christ, he instead would be enlisted to preach that gospel to them that they might be the freest people in the world. By following the Savior. But so interestingly, he gives more of his story. He's, he's proof positive. He says, verse 16, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. This confuses theologians everywhere, and you're going to catch some numbers here right away, and you're going to say there's years and all these dates and stuff going on. Don't worry about those right now. What you see is, is Paul is saying, listen, nobody endorsed what I'm, what I'm preaching. I didn't get this from anybody else. God revealed it to me. His son, his grace, He's arguing for a divine origin, right? The nature of the gospel is God, and it's divine. By describing not the theological arguments and pouring through the scriptures, though we could do all that and does that in other letters, but rather by telling about the life that was changed, his life transformed. One writer says his autobiography is his best argument. His autobiography is his best argument. And I would say the same for us. Some of you are smart. Some of you guys got some good, good arguing in you. What's your best argument for the authenticity 
of this gospel that we keep proclaiming and preaching and believing in and confessing and experiencing the effects of that, that you, you, your life is the most compelling case that can be made for the truth of the gospel. It's our most powerful apologetic. As one writer said so well, this you can write down, the single best argument for or against Christianity has always been the same. Christians. You are a witness to this world of the revelation of the grace of God. As we sang this morning, as you heard texts read, we do this 550 times we've done this. Now we're doing it for 551 times. Not anything we can boast in. Not anything we can ascribe to our efforts our morality, our ethics, our life, our backgrounds, our, our family history, none of it, none of it adds up to anything. This is grace. And the world is watching. We're, as one scholar called it, we're like a theater show displaying God's power at work in this age, in us. This is a revelation of the grace of God. An old theologian, this is how he puts it, the gospel is a revelation of the wondrous grace of God. He says it tells us that Christ has done for sinners what they could not do for themselves. It satisfied the demands of God's law. He writes, Christ has fully and perfectly met all the requirements of God's holiness so that he can righteously receive every poor sinner who comes to him. The gospel tells us that Christ died not for good people who never did anything very bad, but for lost and godless sinners who never did anything good. That's what we tell with our lives. The gospel, listen, the gospel reveals to, to all that we'll see, the gospel reveals that for every sinner, for his acceptance, a Savior is all-sufficient, able to save to the uttermost those who come to him by him, Jesus. It's a manifestation of the grace of God. It's a, it's a manifestation of the power of the grace of God. The, the, the gospel's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who will believe this gospel. That's Paul's testimony. That's Paul's testimony. Saved by grace. Listen, you, you're wondering, what, what do you need to do to be saved? What do you need to do to be a Christian? What do you need to do to get in on what Paul is talking about here? Not man's gospel, not your gospel, but God's gospel. There's only one command that's actually included in the gospel itself. Repent and believe. That's the obligation that's the obligation. And that, Paul says to the Ephesian church, is a gift of God himself as well. See, man's gospel 
and we're going to find it through the book of Galatians, is going to be a whole list of things. Sometimes they include Jesus, sometimes they don't. In this book here, mostly dealing with Judaizers, it's going to be, yeah, Jesus plus something else. There's going to be some other requirements that you're going to have to do. And Paul is saying, oh, it's just his son and his grace towards those who would believe. And finally, last observation. Observation number three. God, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ, his grace, <laughs> for his glory. Again, can't have a gospel without God. His son, his grace, for his glory. The end of it all ends up not being for us either. It's not for our self-fulfillment. It's not for, uh, for some sort of pleasure that we would have. It's not for... It's, it's not to make this a better world. Oh, think about the Gospels that we could cling to, that our world loves. I love. We're here to help this city. We're here to make things right. We're here to help those that are marginalized. And, and we are. We're, we're the hands and the feet of God's mercy. But, but none of it actually terminates in any of those, we'll say, wishes but rather in God's glory. And we catch that if you look all the way down at verse 22. He says, you want to know my story? You want to know God's gospel? Here's my story. God revealed himself to me, extended scandalous grace. And when my life changed, who got the glory? Verse 22. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Verse 24, and they glorified God because of me. Because of what God had done to the Apostle Paul, his autobiography, all the churches glorified God. Paul writes this so well to a, a future pastor in 1 Timothy. You don't need to turn there, but he says, Formerly I was a blasphemer. This is our story. Formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly. This is our story. I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Listen to what he says. The saying is trustworthy. You know this because it is. And deserving of full acceptance. And we accept this among us, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And if you're putting yourself second or third and not even in the top ten, you're reading it wrong. He writes, but I received mercy for this reason. That in me, you put yourself here, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. I don't know about you, but the longer I, I find myself with Jesus, the more surprised I'm, I am that I'm still with Jesus. I 
Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. And how does Paul end his story? In 1 Timothy says, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know how you want to pick off something that's not really a gospel, but feels really good? <laughs> it's when, when it terminates in something other than God's glory. It's, it's baked into the cake, as, <laughs> as Andrew <laughs> says often. It's, ba- it's baked into the cake. No room for boasting. This is for God and his glory. So, for the 551st time, we end on the same point. The Son of God, sent by the Father, agreeing from eternity past, came and humiliated himself among us took on flesh, that those who would be reconciled to him and be united to him on account of his finished work for us on the cross, his his expungement, his, his taking of all of God's righteous anger on account of your sin, my sin, all those that would be united to him become brothers and sisters with him might be forgiven for every trespass. All the turbulence in your soul for all the things you have done, the things you know you're capable of, the fears that you hold for the future, all of those things could be calmed. And you could experience peace that transcends your life and your circumstances and a hope of an eternity without any of this. He truly is the only way. I pray that he would reveal himself to you. Only he can reveal himself to you. So let me pray that the Holy Spirit would meet you now, especially though you're in the room and you don't believe. Would God give you faith to trust him? Pray with me. Father, with Paul, we rejoice in your gospel. It's not our message. We received it. We're proclaiming it. We're believing it. And it all ends in you. We marvel at grace that has been extended to us. The most unlikely of converts. The chief sinners. Those that are good at being your enemy. You would surprise attack us and save us from ourselves lord i pray you would do that again this morning as you've done time after time after time among us you would peel the scales off of our eyes that we might see you and your grace and and throw us at your mercy your throne of mercy and receive grace lord be good this morning to us, we pray.
In Jesus' name, amen.